You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Well, I hope everybody is enjoying the end of summer, beginning of fall, except for, of course, the kids who are starting school all of a sudden, and uh, that's not a happy time, I'm sure. Now, for today's show, of course, when you think of the great Catholic countries of the world, the one that stands out, especially in Europe, to me, is Poland, home to the beloved Pope, uh, St. John Paul II. And, of course, the greatest devotion known to Poland is our Lady of Czestochowa, the Black Madonna of Jasna Gora. And it's the image that was legendarily painted by St. Luke on a Cyprus table built by Jesus himself for the Holy Family. Throughout the ages, there's been the image has been transferred and transported to various places throughout Poland and has wrought some great miracles throughout Polish history. Today, of course, August 26th is the feast day of our Lady of Czestochowa. Now, most people who know me uh, think that I'm 100% Irish with a name like Michael O'Neill. And when a red beard grows in once in a while in the winter, they think even more so. But in fact, I am more Polish than anything else. So Our Lady of Czestochowa is one of my favorite personal Marian devotions. Now, today we'll be joined by Father Sebastian from the National Shrine of Our Lady of Czestochowa in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And we're going to talk with him today about some of the history and the miracles of that great image and its meaning for the Polish people. We'll also find out more about the shrine here in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and we'll find out how to visit that shrine. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. This week in Miracle News, uh, we turn our attention to the Catholic blogosphere, which was abuzz this week with reports of a new revelation from Our Lady of Fatima coming to light. On the site Libro Quotidiano, it's an Italian journalist, Antonio Socci. He revealed some new text reportedly written by Sister Lucia of Fatima. Now, Socci is that same Italian journalist who, in 2006, wrote the popular book, The Fourth Secret of Fatima, which contends that there's an additional text composed by Sister Lucia and sent to the Vatican, which has never been revealed Uh, Catholic conspiracy theorists love this stuff. But in this most recent article, Sochi 
He relays additional information reportedly from an unpublished diary of Sister Lucia. The provenance, which he reports, is contained in an official publication of the Carmel of Guembra, the one where she lived and died in 2005. She's the last seer, of course, of Fatima, Sister Lucia dos Santos, and it's, this diary is entitled A Camino Sob Old Dinar de Maria. It's a biography of Sister Lucia written by the sisters, and the valuable unpublished documents of that same seer are written there. The specific content of the reported text surrounds the time in 1944 when Sister Lucia struggled mightily with writing down the third secret of Fatima. So here's what the, the section, the relevant section of that article says. It says, Towards 1600 hours on January 3rd, 1944, in the convent's chapel before the tabernacle, Lucia asked Jesus to let her know his will. Quote, I feel that a friendly hand, affectionate and maternal, touches my shoulder. End quote. It is the mother of heaven who says to her, be at peace and write that they command you to do, not that which what you are given to understand about its meaning. End quote. Intu- intending to allude to the meaning of the vision that the virgin herself had revealed to her. Right afterwards, said Sister Lucia, I felt my spirit flooded by a light-filled mystery, which is God, and in him I saw and heard the point of the flame-like lance which detaches, touches the axis of the earth, and the earth shakes. Mountains, cities, towns, and villages with their inhabitants are buried. The sea, rivers, and clouds leave their bounds. They overflow, flood, and drag with them into a whirlpool, houses and people in a number unable to be counted. It is the purification of the world from sin and it is immersed in hatred, ambition, cause, destructive wars. Afterward, I felt in the increased beating of my heart and in my spirit, a quiet voice which said, in time, one faith, one baptism, one church, holy, Catholic, apostolic, heaven in eternity. This word heaven filled my heart with peace and happiness so much that almost without realizing it, I continued to repeat for some time, heaven, heaven, heaven. So that's how she was given the strength to write the third secret, according to this account. Now, Antonio Sochi, the author, he suggests that this diary entry seems to lend credence to the assertion of his book in 2006 that there were indeed two parts to the Fatima Revelation, one of which is the vision of the bishop in white, of course, that everybody knows, and the other part perhaps composed at a different time and sent later. It was not considered part of the secret by some in the Vatican, that contains the meaning of the vision. During a pilgrimage to Fatima in 2010, Pope Benedict had said, quote, It is mistaken to think that Fatima's prophetic mission is completed. Interesting stuff. I don't know what to make of it, but uh, you can read more at the National Catholic Register, or you can go to my website, miraclehunter.com, and you'll find a link to this article uh, and to find out more. And to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle Hunter news, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Exploring the Miraculous, due out at the end of fall any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. And now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. 
Each week, uh, we ask a trivia question and give out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week, as in past weeks, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. And you can see that image on the homepage of MiracleHunter.com. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. Today we're talking about Our Lady of Chestahova. Here's the question. Who was the last pope to visit Chestahova while he was pope in Poland? So who was the last pope to visit while being pope the shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova in Poland? And we'll see if you have the right answer to that question. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And it's now time for our question of the week. Uh, We're going to reach into the email bag, email inbox, and find a question for you. The question is, Dear Miracle Hunter, what is the status of the beatification of the servant of God, Mystic Luisa Picaretta? God bless, Jackie. Well, thank you, Jackie, for your question. We've had uh, a great deal of interest surrounding this Italian mystic. The servant of God, Luisa Picaretta, who lived from 1865 to 1947, she is also known as the little daughter of the divine will and is under consideration for possible canonization. She was a mystic and author. Now, she's very controversial because some of her writings were placed on the Index of Forbidden Books. But when her cause for beatification and canonization was officially proposed, Cardinal Ratzinger, the future Benedict XVI, at that time he was the prefect of the CDF, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, he nullified that previous condemnation, and he removed that big impediment to the cause of her canonization. One of the things she's notable for is inedia, that mystical phenomena whereby she was allegedly surviving on nothing but communion wafers for 65 years. There's been a number of saints who have claimed the same thing. For some time, her confessor was St. Annabella Maria de Francia, and her spirituality centered around the union with the will of God. The Archbishop of Trani had opened her cause of beatification in 1994, And like I said, there were some stumbling blocks with their little bit of controversy about her writings and misunderstanding. But by the end of 2005, the process of inquiry and documentation within that diocese was complete, and her cause was passed on to the CDF at the Vatican, which opened its examination on March 7, 2006. Now, she was thereby enrolled as a servant of God, and the CDF has appointed a Roman lawyer, Silvia Monica Corriale, as the postulator of as her cause. Most recently, the second theologian assigned to evaluate the writings of her um, by, the, by the CDF has given a favorable judgment. This means that both the official censors librorum for the cause have found nothing contrary to the faith in her writings, and her cause can now go forward. Currently, there have been no miracles officially approved to advance her canonization cause, but her cause is clear. 
to go forward. So thank you, Jackie, for your excellent question. If you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please write to questions at miraclehunter.com, and we'll be selecting one question per week to be read on the air. And for those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit miraclehunter.com. Each week, we'll be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now, for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, a feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her on every day throughout the year. Now, this project collects all the dates with their feasts into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see those places. The project's available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. They're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like them, you can automatically receive the information about each feast day and learn more about how our Blessed Mother is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now today's great feast, of course, is Our Lady of Chestahova. So we're going to look at another one for this week, for today's program, um, since we'll be covering Our Lady of Chestahova in great detail. So on Friday, August 29th, we have the feast of Nostra Signora de la Guardia, Our Lady of the Guard, from Varazze Savona in Liguria, Italy. According to tradition, on August 29th in 1490, the Virgin Mary appeared to a peasant called Benedetto Pareto, and he asked him to build a chapel on the mountain. Pareto was surprised and replied that he was only a poor man who would not be able to do that. But the Virgin Mary exhorted him by saying, Do not be afraid. Nevertheless, Pareto went home and did not speak with anyone about the apparition. And a few days later, he fell from a tree and was seriously injured. The Virgin Mary appeared again, and he was miraculously healed. But that event convinced him to speak about the apparition and to find some help to build this chapel. So that was the feast for August 29th coming up. And that was Nostra Signora de la Guardia, Our Lady of the Guard, from Verazze, Italy. This is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now up on the program, we turn our attention to Our Lady of Chestahova. Today's feast, of course, honors her coming from Poland and is celebrated around the world. And we are joined today by Father Sebastian from the National Shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova. Welcome to the program today, Father Sebastian. Thank you very much. Very happy that you can join us on this great occasion, the Feast of Our Lady of Chestahova. And we know that at the shrine there, um, the National Shrine of Our Lady of, of Chestahova, you have some great celebrations going on today. Um, most people... Catholics around the United States are familiar with that image. Many churches have that great image of Our Lady of Chestahova showing the scar on the cheek. Most people are familiar with seeing the image, but very few people know any of the history surrounding it. 
So, Father Sebastian, can you take us back a little bit and tell us a little bit about the origins of this great image? Well, it's uh, according to the tradition, um, it is believed that St. Luke, the evangelist, is the original artist of the icon, the painting which Mary is depicted holding Jesus. Um, the sacred image was uh, originally uh, uh, venerated in our shrine in Poland, in Jasnogura, and it was brought, they say, from Jerusalem through Constantinople. And uh, it was bestowed to the princess of Ruthenia, and uh, uh, she brought it to Poland in about 1382. That's what they're saying, they tell us. And the efforts of uh, Ladislaus Apollo, who at that time was a nobleman, who, discover, who discovered it in the, uh, in the castle in Bells, B-E-L-Z. And uh, to ensure its protection, he it gave it, he invited our, our, our community, the Order of St. Paul I Chermit, who were originally Hungarian, uh, from Hungary, to come to Poland and to be the guardians of Our Lady of Częstochowa. And it was from that time on where it said... I, the fathers tell me that the, um, today I had to ask at the dining room table all this information. Um, they told me that the historic records of the painting are documented and that they are authenticated by the miracles associated with the painting. Now, in 1430, they were telling me that there was a devastating um, attack on Yasnagura at Chestahova, which resulted in tragic losses not only in monks, but also in the damaging of the, the icon of Our Lady of Częstochowa. And to the very day, despite all the attempts to repair uh, the icon, uh, the slashes on Our Lady's face are still very visible. Many times they've tried to cover them up, and there's two slash. Really, I think if you really look at it, I'm, I see three more than two slashes on her face. And uh, the, the foundation... The foundation of that, that shrine and that monastery in Poland began in a very small wooden church, almost like here in Doylestown, because in Doylestown it started in a little barn chapel. And, uh, and I would say that it, it developed. Uh, I would, they tell me, the Father said that between uh, around 1632 and 48, they laid a big dis- uh, construction uh, in that present day, to build a basilica in a defense wall around the monastery to um, keep the sacred buildings safe from vandals. Sure. And under the, uh, they had a very, uh, we have a, a prior in our history, uh, Father Kordetsky, who uh, withstood the tax of the Swedish uh, invasion in 1655 against the monastery. And this great victory to prove uh, a tremendous boost for the tradition of the people and their faith. And this, I think, has followed them today, because there's such, an, uh, uh, um, such a following that different cities throughout Poland take a pilgrimage from wherever they are all the way to Yasnagora. Some go from Warsaw, some come from Apala, some come from Kalish, some come uh, from um, oh, all over uh, uh, Poznań. They all walk that long way. And it seems as as a result of all these pilgrimages, um, King Casimir, who in, um, I 
think they told me, 1656, made a solemn vow proclaiming Mary of the Mother of God the Queen of the Polish Crown. She mm. became the, the Queen of the Nobility and of the people of Poland. And the Shrine of Jasna Góra, which is in Poland, uh, Mount of Victory, in a way it is called, it became the spiritual capital of Poland as it is today. And during the, the, prob- the problem, the Father said, that is during the, the Polish partition, during 1772 to about, um, I think, either 1917 or 1918, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, the Shrine of became a vibrant link for the Polish people because they and their homeland, because the painting enshrined at Yasnagura at Częstochowa beamed as a lighthouse of hope. If anyone goes to Poland, you can see the tall tower of the church that you can see for miles. And, it, and during those painful years of partition, the shrine became a really the national, national uh, place of uh, hardships and defeats. Um, uh, the fathers, uh, you know, they're very, uh, uh, they speak Polish more than they speak a lot of English, but, you know, I try to, at my best, I'm trying my best to um, give you a little bit of the history. And then after, uh, they told me after 1918, uh, the restoration of the independence of Poland, the pilgrimages which I spoke about to the Polish town grew in number and size. And as World War II ended, the nation, devastated by all the scourges of war, drew, drew more and more strength and courage from coming to the shrine year in and re- year out to rebuild and to recover the faith of the people from the war. Uh, and then again, we have the big millennium in 1966, in which uh, Poland was a thousand years of Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. It took place in the devotion to Our Lady Mother of God. And in many places, they tell me that the, uh, the cardinal was not allowed to go, Gwyszynski. And so what they did was use their big processions in the streets without the Madonna, just an empty frame. And many of the people, the Cardinal Gwyszynski, and even the late John Paul II, Cardinal Wojtyła, were part of those celebrations. I remember when I was a young monk in 1969, uh, cardinal Wojtyła came here right after he was made cardinal and visited the United States for about three months, and he made Doylestown his uh, his base. Mm. And a very, very uh, interesting um, to this day, you know, I we relive those days because it was a, a, a very highlight of the shrine when he came. Um, and I think the devotion to Our Lady is well known, and it is cherished throughout the world. I come from a, my parishes in Summerfield, Florida, and we have a huge um, uh, icon of Our Lady of Częstochowa in the church, which was blessed by Benedict XVI when he came to Poland. It was just that I came at the right time, I was at the right time at the right place to get it for our parish. You yourself uh, received the icon from Benedict yes, XVI? Yes, I did from Benedict XVI. Uh, what happened was they made two of them, and a smaller version and a bigger version. And Benedict decided to take the smaller version, and the other version stayed at the monastery. And it just happened that that year was my 25th anniversary, and I was visiting um, the mother house in Poland. And uh, Father um, Polek, who was a sub-prior there, I told him I'm looking for a big chance to hover. 
and he says, come to my office. I came to the office, and on the back of the painting is the words, um, the blessing. It was blessed by Pope uh, Benedict XVI when he came to visit Gastabura during his pilgrimage in Poland. So our painting, the, our icon in um, Summerfield is blessed by the Holy Father. We've been very that's, lucky. I love. That's, a, wonder, I love that's a wonderful story. Um, I, Benedict, I like Benedict. I always, you know, when he was elected after uh, after John Paul, I was very, very happy. I really, uh, he's a very intelligent man, but yet a very humble man. And I, 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 I really enjoy when I listen to him and I read him. But the people, it seems that uh, in people living here in America, reunited the Polish people when the shrine here in Doylestown was built. And it was completed uh, and dedicated for the year of the millennium uh, in conjunction with the celebration of uh, the thousand years of Poland's baptism as a Christian nation. And so uh, the Doylestown uh, was basically founded by a priest who was, uh, in, uh, you know, took his vows, was ordained in Poland, but then went to Hungary and he built a church in Hungary um, in Pel, uh, I think they say it's Pels, and um, uh, from there, um, the communists, I think, were after him. They won't say much to me about that, but um, then he went to Rome, and from Rome he came to the United States in about 1953, and Father um he purchased a small parcel of land that we're, is below us, where we are now. When I first came, I came here... I started coming here when I was in high school in 1964, and it was first down below the hill, and then later on, um, and so I, when I entered in 68, I came to the new place up, up on the hill. And um, it, he had his dream within, it uh, became a reality in two years, they say. He had a small barn, just like the original starting of the uh, Jasna Gura in Poland, and uh, on the property, and uh, it was converted into a chapel, which we have today in our cemetery. It was moved from where the original place is to our cemetery chapel, and it's used for uh, used for funerals for people who come to the cemetery to be buried. And it was dedicated in June of 1965. Uh, sorry, um, as the date of the millennium came. Um, I've been reading uh, as it approached the idea that the, they, they needed a, a larger shrine, and a larger shrine was conceived because the pilgrims were coming. And the idea was to receive with uh, it was the Polish clergy and the faithful received it open handedly. And so in 1966, drew near, they rallied together in response to different appeals, donations to build a monumental shrine to Our Lady of Częstochowa here in Doylestown. And on the 16th of October, we celebrate the 16th of October, um, Archbishop John Clue, the late John Archbishop, um, and President Lyndon Johnson greeted thousands of people here, pilgrims, who came to Doylestown to witness that dedication of the mm-hmm. new shrine. And the shrine was, was designed by a Polish architect um, from Los Angeles, and it's built in modern style, um, it's impressive, um, and now that when I first came here, we had no uh, floors or anything, chairs or anything, but now everything basically is completed upstairs, and it has a huge festival with a lot of the memorials that people have given 
um, three walls of bronze, bronze plaques of different societies and committees. But I think the, the benefactors of the shrine um, have helped tremendously to promote who we are within the United States. And not only that, but the, also uh, the, Polish, the Polish traditions and the Polish culture. I always believe I'm now in a Polish, uh, not a Polish parish, I'm in a uh, multi-ethnic parish. And, you know, you try to bring the traditions, even the hymns, I've tried, tried to have them uh, made, uh, translated into English so we could, what do you call it, sing them. And the people who are Polish extraction, like this past uh, two Sundays ago, uh, they did Chadna Madana and Sadeshna Matka, and the Polish people said, oh, Father, that was a Polish hymn. So the, the, to keep on the traditions and try to mix them in with who we are within the United States. Um, now, Father, the, the, shrine, the shrine there in Pennsylvania, is the town still a predominantly Polish uh, area? No, uh, no, it never was. It never was. This area had the least of Polish people least of all the Polish people. A lot of English, Swedish, and German. Uh, and a very sparse uh, uh, Polish population. Very sparse. It was basically in Philadelphia, Swedesburg, um, uh, Hill, uh, well, even Hilltown had a sparse of Polish people. Um, but it was, the area was basically a, uh, well, Protestant. You know, we're, we were... Uh, Father Michael was on the, you know, on the pilgrimage of doing something that was never thought of, putting a shrine in in a Protestant area. We only had one Polish, they only had one church in this area, already in Mount Carmel, and that was it. And we became very close friends with that that time, the priest there, because when they built their new church, they gave us everything from their old church. So the, 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 um, uh, the relationship was very, very good between both Father Michael and Our, Our Lady of uh, Carmel and Doyle Sound. Now, I would imagine that this uh, this shrine became a great place of pilgrimage if, in fact, the local people were not Polish. I imagine that people from all over the United States, of uh, Polish descent and otherwise, will come to the shrine there. Well, um, it's very interesting because they have, uh, we have a pilgrimage every year. It's usually the feast before the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption, or around the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption. It's usually two weeks before the Feast of Chanstahava, and it's from Great Meadows, Mass- uh, Great Meadows, New Jersey. And um, Cardinal Archbishop Vensky is the one who leads the um, the pilgrimage of fifty. I think it's fifty-two or fifty-six miles. And then there's a pilgrimage that comes from Trenton. They walk. I think it's twenty to thirty-two miles. And then there's another one coming in from Philadelphia. And they all verge together. One, we have three entrances, and one comes from one entrance, the other comes from another entrance, and the other comes, and then they fill the church. Wow. Um, Father, uh, one of the priests that was on the pilgrimage, um, we, we had uh, Archbishop Chaput for Mass this weekend, and um, uh, one of our priests said that while walking from the uh, pilgrimage, from, our, from Great Meadows to the Shrine, there were several men that were standing uh, by the road watching their march. And one of them said to the, uh, the one of the uh, people, that, what are you protesting? 
Mm. And a young man, uh, possibly about 18 years old, who was in the in the uh, in the procession uh, in the pilgrimage, says, "We're protesting against the sins of the world." Mm. And um, in today's crazy world needs to have many protesters against the sinful ideas of those who say we don't need any God. And it was a great answer, I thought. And there's a it's a proof right then and there that the pilgrimage is doing what it's supposed to do. Bring right. people to God and to his mother. Now, Father, uh I'm I live in Chicago and there was a similar uh walking pilgrimage to the Merrillville shrine in Indiana. Uh so it seems like uh these walking pilgrimages are are essential to Chestahova, or they're they're uh, a mark of the devotion to Our Lady of Chestahova. Is this something, as you alluded to, that that dates back to Poland and the the actual shrine there in Especially Poland? Especially uh, what I was told. What I was told it was basically um, a lot of this grew during um, uh, as the World War Two ended. Uh, the nation that it was basically uh, devastated. And so what happened was the pilgrimage grew in size. There were pilgrimages, but not as big as they are, they were then and are now, okay? Um, this is what I've been told. I've never been on one in Poland, um, but uh, I've been one here in New Jersey when I was younger. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, just to hear the people, uh, as a priest, you have to hear confessions one after another, um, and also the, the you know, uh, is a different type of um, mentality of these people that are, are walking. And we have quite a few Filipino, um, uh, the Filipino culture. We have quite a few um, from um, uh, the uh, uh, Americans now has grown more and more than it's ever been uh, that joined the, this um, pilgrimage that we have to now have fathers in English and in Polish um, doing different things because we have to have the group separated. Mm-hmm. But we try as best to bring everyone that wants to come. We try to accommodate as much as those who want to come to the shrine on these pilgrimages. And they start all the way in February with the planning of all of this, all the food, everything like that. And this is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. We are speaking today on the Feast of the Late Our Lady of Chestahova with Father Sebastian from the National Shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova. Now, Father, um, for those people who are interested in visiting the shrine, can you uh, paint a little picture what they will see when they visit uh, the shrine there of Our Lady of Chestahova? What what uh, is on the property there? Well, on the property, first of all. Um in this, now in the cemetery, they have the first, the barn chapel, which was the original chapel that Father Michael first started when he first came in 1955. Uh, of course, you have now the huge shrine, and it's, it's, um, um, it's very beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. It, uh, it, um, it, the altar area is dominated by, um, of course, the picture of Our Lady of Częstochowa, um, which was, which was blessed by uh, Pope John Paul John the Twenty Third, um, and uh, there's a huge relief of the Holy Trinity uh, in bronze, and uh, the Holy Spirit appears in the form of a dove with God the Father with the crown um, and the Son without the crown, 
and the painting of Our Lady is just below them, and it looks as if the angels that are, are around the, uh, the picture are awaiting to crown her. And they're, they, are, they have um, uh, horns, they call it trumpets, and things like this. It's the most exper- uh, you know, exquisite piece uh, 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 around the altar. Um, and then, uh, I'm, of course, we have, um, in the shrine, we have the uh, Blessed Sacrament, uh, not the chapel, but we have the side of one altar, the Blessed Sacrament. It's all done up in mosaic, and then that the altar of St. Joseph is life. Um, according to the scriptures. Uh, within the floor, it's very interesting that one of our priests, who traveled quite a lot, um, got uh, dirt from the different places uh, of the Marian shrines, Sadama, Lourdes, Guadalupe, Majagore. Um, he collected it all, and now it is, he has it all within the floors of the church, every place, and then also it has the ground from the house, from the the, um, the home of uh, Pope John Paul II, which is the very, very center of the shrine, and it's in the floor, and people can see it, and it's marked um, for them to know it. And then the one altar um, has the uh, dirt from all the uh, all the places that pilgrimages come from in Poland that go to Jasnogora. So he's went to all those towns and collected all the dirt. And then he got from the Holy Land. I don't know how he got it, but from the tomb, from the tomb he got a rock from the tomb oh. of uh, the resurrection, and that's at the altar by Saint Joseph, and also a dirt from the Holy House of Nazareth. And behind the main altar is the chapel to Saint Anne, uh, dedicated to the Mother of God, and it also is another beautiful altar done up in marble. Uh, we usually have weddings there or funerals there. Um, it's a very quiet chapel, um, and that leads down to the main uh, to the chapel where the uh, um, replica of the uh, chapel in Jasnogora, Poland, is placed. Um, Father Lucius Tadeszynski, who was once the provincial here, um, had a uh, person who wanted to donate quite a big sum of money, and he had the chapel made to look just like that in Jasnogora in Poland. So wow. it is a replica of the altar and the gates, everything just like in Poland. And that's where we have daily Mass every day. The only thing is that we say Mass with our backs to the people. We, there's, there's no place to put an altar in front. Mm-hmm. So, But the people don't mind it. They go along with the whole thing. That's, uh, and, that's then, a- and then um, the outdoors. Outdoors we have the Stations of the Cross, um, life-size stations of the cross, uh, life-size stations of the rosary, the 20 decades of the rosary that are on the, on the right side of the shrine outside, and people can make them. We have a Fatima Day every 13th of May during the summer months up till the October 13th, from May 13th to October 13th. And you usually try to get a bishop or some a higher dignity to come and say the Mass and do the rosary for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have all the other days, you know, we celebrate Easter, the Holy Week. We have people who come, our season starts during Holy Week, though. The people start Palm Sunday, and then it goes all the way until about November 1st, when they honor the dead here in our cemetery. Um, we have a beautiful chapel to Our Lady of Nazareth, 
Uh, we have a statue that John Paul II gave. It's the only, the second one in the world. It's the other one in the world, only one in the world, besides the one in uh, Rome, in the Vatican Gardens. And wow. we have a plaque on the wall, and um, it's telling, uh, telling the people that it came from John Paul II. Uh, we have an uh, altar to Our Lady Guadalupe, of course. We have quite a few Spanish people who are coming now to the shrine. We have an altar, an altar area dedicated to our founder, St. Paul the First Hermit. And then we have a huge area for the chapters of Divine Mercy, all on the bottom floor of, of, the, uh, of the shrine. And then we have two museums. Um, one museum is articles. Uh, Cardinal Sivis has been very good to us, and we have articles from John Paul II and one of the museums. And then we have another museum with the artifacts from the beginnings of the shrine, from different bishops, archbishops, higher-ups of the Church, I would say. And then we have our beautiful cemetery, where we're all going to end sooner or later. Um, it's, uh, it's a very homey type of cemetery. We also, they call it the Polish Arlington, because the Polish Army's soldiers are buried here at the shrine. Um, you can tell because they all have the same cross, and those who have served in World War II, World War I, or any of the, uh, the armies the, during the, the wartime are buried here in the, in the cemetery in, um, in Doylestown. That's about it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Father. That's, that was quite a description, and I think uh, listeners who, are, who heard that would be excited to visit that shrine. And, uh, Father, tell us briefly, um, how did you first get involved with the shrine there? What uh, attracted you to it, or how were you assigned to, to the shrine in uh, Doylestown? When I was, when I was um, how what could I say, when I was a young 8th grader, uh, and all through high school, I used to come with my parish church, because my parish church was a Polish uh, parish in Connecticut. I'm a New Englander. I'm from Connecticut. And um, our parish church every year had its bus to Częstochowa, and I used to work in the parish, and so the pastor used to treat me and another young fellow, who is now a priest in New Jersey, used to treat us to the trip. And so from the first year of high school to my last year of high school, I used to come here. And finally I met Father Michael one, week, one summer, and I made the application to come, and... Um, in 1968, in August 1st, 1968, I came to the shrine and started my postulancy. I became a novice in 69, took vows, and in 70 went to school. I was really supposed to be a brother, but Father Michael saw how I dealt with the people, and he said, no, you're going to be a priest. So I went to be a priest. I went to Orchard Lake. I took my four years of philosophy at Orchard Lake. And then I went to St. Bonaventure's University, uh, Christ the King Seminary in um, Buffalo, New York, for the rest of my education. I was a diocesan priest, really, because of my family. My father was sick for 19 years, and I had to take care of him. So I left the community and took care of my dad for 19 years, and after I came back at the age of 50, back to the community, and I've had a very good life ever since. I can I didn't have, I had a very good life as a diocesan priest, but I had a, I I can complain. I'm back in community. I missed being in community with the other priests and brothers. I used to come here when I was a diocesan priest for retreats, so I kind of kept up with all the news. 
So I basically well, knew what was going on. And now, uh, since I was back, I came back in 2000. Uh, I'll be back 15 years coming this coming year. Um, I've been to all our houses except two. I was in. Uh, we have a house in Rockville, Connecticut. I was the pastor there for six years, and then I went to Buffalo to Corpus Christi, which we took over over the after the conventional Franciscans. From there, I came back here to do the Jubilee. From after the Jubilee, they sent me to Florida. I was in Florida. I opened a parish with another priest, and then they sent me back here. And then I went to our novitiate house, and I was the prior in the novitiate house for three three years. And then he sent me back to Florida to pay off a $2 million debt. Okay. Well, that's quite a uh, history of travel for you there, Father. Oh, it uh, is. I did more traveling for them than I ever did in the diocesan priesthood. <laughs> now, that, that's, uh, that's quite... See, that's, uh, the, that's the big joke. That's the big joke. Become a religious and see the world, they tell me. <laughs> so there you go. Now, Father, I think um, you gave an excellent description of the shrine there and some of the beautiful things that people can find. How can people make a pilgrimage to the Chestahova Shrine there in Doylestown? Well, we do have a retreat house, a pilgrim house uh, for people. The only thing is during the week we don't have food. They would have to get their own food. Okay. But you can, um, we are on the internet, the www.chestahova.us. Okay. And then there's another thing, info at chestahova.us is the other one on the Internet. And then our our telephone number would be 215-345-0600. Okay, wonderful. I I think that uh, plenty of people who are listening today might be inspired to get in touch and to make one of those pilgrimages to the shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. We we have quite a few... We have quite a few people. You know what they do because there are so many shrines in the Philadelphia area. Because we have Newman, we have um, um, not Seaton, but we have Neumann Shrine. We also have the Shrine of the Miraculous Medal. Um, no, I forget one of the sisters, the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, um, Drexel Shrine. We have quite a few within the area, and then what happens is they make this, they make pilgrimages to all the others while they're here. They usually oh, make sure. sisters. They make this their staying place, and then they go from here. I brought a bus from from Florida, 60 people from Florida, and that's what they did. They spent five days. And, that you know, this was their base, and they went to one shrine one day, one day. We even made it to New York one day, you know, just to make the day. But um, people are more than welcome. We hope people, we have a big uh, celebration this coming weekend, we have a big festival. It's the 49th annual uh, festival for us. Um, next year will be 50 years. Uh, it starts this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and then the following weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. And we have a parish in Chicago, in Harwood Heights, St. Rosalie's. If anyone wants any information, they can call St. Rosalie's. Would you believe, Father, I live about five minutes away from Harwood Heights, so uh, that, that's very close those, to where those I am. Are our, those are our priests, Father Tadeusz and Father Bogdan. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Father Sebastian, for joining us on today's program. Uh, God bless you and your great work there at the Shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much. Pray, pray for me. Thank you. 
And that was Father Sebastian from the National Shrine of Our Lady of Chestahova in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. The website there is chestahova.us for people who want to find out more about that shrine and maybe make a pilgrimage. And he did mention that there's a number of other shrines there where you can do a little circuit and uh, take a little trip to a number of different shrines. So thank you, Father Sebastian, for giving us such a great interview and detailed explanation of the history of Our Lady of Chestahova. And that's all the time we have for today. Please be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.